What's up, guys? I'm glad you're here. My name is Drake, and you're listening to the Double Click Podcast by Holy Hill Media. On today's episode, I'm actually joined again by my wife, Lexi, and this time around, she's going to interview me because we had some change of plans for our recording Monday. She came in clutch per usual. So here we are. It's the only time I get on the podcast. Stop. <laughs> I interviewed you. It's like the third time you've been on. I'm just kidding. Girl, don't do that to me. All right. So today, you're going to be interviewing me with some business questions that you have regarding really just about anything. I know that we've had so many conversations about the differences between you and I in artistry and business and marketing and everything really and one of the things that you always come back to is like I just I don't love this business stuff and it actually puts you in a great position to be curious about all these things that you hate anyway so let's first of all let's just hear what is your relationship with business oh (laughs) I don't want to use the word hate (laughs) is it that close is it that bad it's very close I do not love business. What what about it though? You say business is such a general term. It there's just so so much with it and there's like legal things and I think as a creative our minds are just thinking of creative things and I don't know, just things kind of outside the box and everything business has to almost be in the box. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. It's very visual. <laughs> and so it's just hard for me to just even sit there and, and be able to listen and to take it in and understand it. Yeah. Plus, you don't enjoy it. So right. it's going to be 10 times harder to exactly. listen, appreciate. I think the other thing with business, too, general term business, is that there's so much structure and there's a lot of numbers. There's patterns. There's there is the legal stuff like like you, like you talked about. There's the insurance. There's just so many things outside of actually executing a service or selling mm-hmm. a product. Like a vast majority of the of businesses is actually not about the business you're running. <laughs> it feels mm-hmm. that way anyway. So it makes sense. And sometimes I hate it too. But I have this love hate relationship. Mostly love. Like probably eighty. Would you say eighty percent? I love ninety percent. I'd say eighty five ninety. Yeah, we're up there. But anyway. You're curious. So many questions, even starting Whitehorse. And for those who don't know, my wife, Lexi, I'm talking like you're not in the room. uh, She opened up Whitehorse Tattoo Boutique, and it was really because you just wanted your own studio. I pretty much just convinced you to open up a business and put a business name to it. And then you kind of took to the idea and said, well, I can make this a, a boutique, which is something that you wanted to do. But ultimately, it was contingent upon the agreement that I would be doing all of the quote unquote business stuff. And so that's the setting up the LLCs. That's getting the insurance set up. That's making sure that all of the accounting is done and all the sorts in that kind of realm of conversation. And uh, yeah, we've kind of found a pretty good flow with that. But every time that I get on my high horse or passionate about a business topic or want to talk through some stuff with you, you've been great and grown so much in this, but you usually just let me talk just because you don't, you don't really you don't really have those conversations. You just want to be creative, do the art, and then live your life. I've been your rubber ducky. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Because 
I'm a talker and I'm passionate about this stuff. And so I'm always just like bogging mm -hmm. you down with business conversations or running numbers with you. And I always know that you're not listening, but at least there's a human being that's like in front of me, somewhat attentive to what I'm saying. It feels good to get it out. Yeah, we've definitely had the conversations of, look, you actually don't have to, to listen. I just need to, to get it out. And yeah. so I'm like, all right, but. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, it's your, you it's can your talk preference. To me. <laughs> This is going to be a funny episode. I have a feeling already. So, but no, I, I, again, like going back to my point earlier, I think it really positions you to just be super curious about these things, right? Like we've, you know, despite the fact that I'm doing a majority of the business stuff, you know, for, obviously for Holy Hill Media, but also for Whitehorse, there's a piece there that you've also taken a curiosity to some of it. Like, well, why do we need this? Or what exactly is that? Or why do we have to pay for this? Or whatever the case might be, right? <laughs> And you have had a lot of really good and very fundamental questions that I think could benefit a lot of people, even if they're in business, who just haven't thought to ask. And I think it's interesting because between our two personalities, mine is I want to figure out everything that has to do with business to make sure everything is just done right. I want to make sure that it's done on time. I, I want, I'll pay for it to be done right. And for you, you're just kind of like, I just want to tattoo let's move along kind of bare minimum you don't want to have to necessarily entertain the thought of extra stuff you know such as whether that's considering your business credit or considering i don't know what else could be marketing things like that <laughs> anything right which again it puts you in a position to just ask some very strong fundamental questions and so i'm, I'm excited to see what you got you want to you want to rattle one off yeah before i start asking questions i think it's interesting though because I think there's two types of people who want to start a business. One, because it sounds fun because to have, you know, having your own thing and you get to be creative and you get to decorate and you get to make this thing your own. Yeah. Freedom. Yeah. But then there's the other business owners who want to start a business because they love business. Yeah. And I think we're both those two <laughs> different people doing business together. So I think that's why it works so well. Because I just like to come here and I like to, you know, make sure we're stocked up on things, make sure everything's cleaned, make sure it looks good, make sure it's pretty, all the aesthetics, things like that. And you're like, I need to make sure that all of the legal things are put in place and that we're growing and we're doing marketing correctly and yeah. things like that. That's good. I think if I could add to that too, you... It's interesting because we are very different. Mm -hmm. We're very... We're, we're, we're similar in the places that matter, but we're very different. And you've also been able to help me to keep things into perspective. So when I get numbers oriented or if I get just infatuated with a new idea, whatever the case might be, or maybe there's some sort of frustrating period of time that I might be going through or whatever the case might be, you always, you're always able to give it perspective and kind of I mean, honestly, just say it doesn't really matter that much. And like the things that do matter are taken care of. And, 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 and you're, you're really good at it. the other day, you were having a stressful day and you're like, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let it take my day from me. I'm just going to come, going to put it on the shelf. I struggle with that. I struggle putting things in the shelf. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get up from my desk unless that thing that's bothering me is completed. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that could be a blessing and a curse. And when those situations veer into the curse lane, 
you have been so good at just kind of helping me. And I would hope, I would hope to say you, you know, I would be able to do the same for you and being a little bit more <laughs> focused or structured or anchored into the logistics or the administrative part of business. And so. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if my uh, taxes would be done if you didn't do them. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Those are important. You know, it's not just something you could do on TurboTax that you've done your entire life. Now it's like, there's exactly. so many other things. So no, I, and I don't, it doesn't bother me. Right. It's again, two different minds, but I definitely agree with your point. So what you got? All right, let's dive into some of these questions. So, um, as a first time business owner, you know, there's so many things you have to figure out. There's okay. How do I actually do this? Like, what are the practical steps to start this? Um, there's so many, again, legal things that you need to know, but if you don't have a mentor, or if you don't have a friend who is in business, how do you figure all that out? That's a good question. That's a really good question. Uh, when you take the mentor thing out of the situation, it really changes because a mentor is so important. So if you can, by all means, find a mentor, right? Find somebody who's been there, done that successfully. Don't just find somebody who talks, speaks confidently. Find somebody who's been there. Uh, but if you don't have the mentor, you know, and I would say there was a period of time when I didn't getting started, especially when there's a lot of the the things that I had to sort out early on when I really had no clue. But I did also have a lot of people in my corner. But I would say that the the, the, the good thing about this problem, right, if somebody's going through a startup or looking to launch a business and they don't have a mentor is that you, we have never been more connected to information as a society, as a as a <laughs> anybody on the planet as we are right now in 2023, having access to the internet, YouTube University. You know, I think that people overestimate what they need to get started. And that's kind of part of your question, mm -hmm. right? Is getting started. There's a few very elemental, fundamental things that you need to have in order to start a business. However, I, again, I think a lot of people overestimate what they really need. Like they have to have everything sorted out and figured out upfront. The, the, the thing about that, those are two different people. The thing about that is the people who need to have everything sorted out, they're probably not going to start. They're probably not going to start. They, they need never to have, feel ready. They never feel ready. And to be honest with you, I feel like there, I'm, I could be the opposite where like, I, I always feel like I'm ready, but I have to apply some practical wisdom and say, well, maybe I need to do X, Y, and Z. Right. And I've learned that a ton in the last probably year specifically, but again, directly to your question, there's so much information. I would say this, figure out what you're good at, isolate that thing and then ask yourself a few important questions. What am I selling to who? Where am I going to sell it? And how am I going to get revenue? And if you can, uh, to be honest with you, if you have a good product or service, it's that simple. If you have a good product or service and you have any sort of, you know, process in play or any sort of uh, patterns of execution for your business, for example, if somebody wants to come get a tattoo for you, you know you have your services on Vigero. So somebody can, you know, book a consultation with you unless you're booked up. And from there, you have a process. You onboard the client by having them fill out the application. You accept or deny. 
if they, you know, if you accept, they come in for a consultation, the consultation's done, um, to look at the design, the design's approved or unapproved, whatever. And you do a tattoo, right? And so that's a process. If you have any sort of process of execution, that's going to be so important because what that does is it mitigates the risk of having bad customer service. So if you have a good product or service, creating a good execution process and ensuring that things are done correctly, and that's part of having a good product or service, Mm -hmm. after that, it's really just about sales. And the rest is very, very, very subjective. Some people think you need to start with an LLC, but here's the deal. Like the LLC is there for protection. It's a limited limited liability company, more or less. The LLC stands so that gives you a, um, when you file for an LLC, you get an EIN number, which is more or less just a business ID. It's like a social security number for a business. That is used to open up business accounts. That's used to file your taxes. That's used if you, for example, Holy Hill Media, we provide a service. Therefore, we are a contractor to services or for businesses that hire us, which means when we, when they send us a W-9, W-2s for employees that work there, you know, under that umbrella. W-9 is for people who you're hiring to contract, but not, not, aren't necessarily on the, under the umbrella of your business. That's where you use the IN as well. And not to digress, but some people think you need that all right away. But here's the deal. You can use your social security number. You can get started without an LLC. Are you running a risk? Of course. But maybe you don't have a $350 that I would pay my attorney to create another LLC. Maybe you don't know an attorney or maybe whatever the case might be. There's just so many things that I believe people look at and think of, well, I need this, this, and this to start. No, you don't. You need a good product or service. You need to figure out how you're going to execute that product or service effectively considering relational equity. And then you need revenue. And so if I could circle back from that first question to the front, to the front part of it, and, and saying, getting started without a mentor, how do you figure out what you need to know? You just start. You start, and if you care about what you're doing, you're going to figure it out. And chances are, if you're starting a business, you're probably going to have some people that you become friends with or at least colleagues with that will, you can ask questions to. But it takes getting started to get those colleagues. It takes getting started to know what you do and don't know. Here's the deal. Mm-hmm. There's things that come up with, we've been in business around four years now. There's things that I, fi- I figure out that I needed last year that I mm-hmm. I don't find out until I hire a new CPA this mm-hmm. year. Yeah, the questions come when they're when they're putting right. Yeah, in your when face. the problem's presented, right? <laughs> exactly. And so I, I, I'm taking this long route to to say this, but you need less than you think to start. And the other part is the information's out there. There's YouTube. There's Google. There's Chat GPT for God's sake. There's mm-hmm. not an answer that that you, I mean there are some limitations, but mo- most of it, especially with business, the information's out there. And I would say this as well, find somebody doing what you're doing. And I don't care. Nobody's doing exactly what I'm doing. No, you just haven't looked hard enough. (laughs) Somebody's doing something at least similar to what you're doing and figure out how they're doing it and how they're doing it well and the the mistakes they've made. Pick up the phone and call. (laughs) I really do believe the elements to get started are passion, resilience, and curiosity. And if you have those three things, I don't think you need you don't need to find the perfect CPA. You don't need to find the perfect podcast equipment. You don't need to find, you don't need to get the LLC right away, whatever the case might be. And I'm not I'm not suggesting people don't do these things up front. But what I am suggesting is if it's keeping you from starting, then it's a problem mm-hmm. more than it is, you know, an asset or more than it is helpful. So that's how I would answer that.
Okay, so I know we talked a little bit about then like figuring things out on your own and then mentors. So how much did you figure out on your own and how much was guided by a mentor or somebody else in similar industry? It's a good question. A lot. I've learned a lot from mentors, man. Like that here's the deal too. Mentors aren't just there to teach you new things. They're there to hold you accountable. They're there to redirect you. They're there to give you another perspective. It's not always just teaching you something new, right? Especially because it's really hard for a mentor to know everything that's going on, the ins and outs of a business, right? Unless they're a paid board member. But I would say I've learned more by trial and error than I have from mentors. But in the times that I really needed it, mentors have almost always come through. You know, one of them being Ben. We've talked about Ben a lot. Ben, nice wonder. He's been able to help give me the perspective I need to make a coherent decision that I wouldn't have been able to make otherwise. He also is outside the situation. So there's not the emotional resistance or the emotional, you know, crap that's stuck in his head figuring out the situation he sees it black and white he's fully removed from the situation only understanding the elements that i'm presenting before him and then he can just make a sound decision right now don't get me wrong there's some things he said i not to do and i've done them you know what i mean i don't know if it's my nature or i thought i was smart or whatever but i would to answer your question directly i would say that i've learned most from going and educating myself getting started learning along the way failing always learn more from failing than you do winning. And I've learned a great deal from mentors as well, but mentors have been more of an assistant steering the ship than building it. So do you almost feel like they are kind of like a security blanket? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would say that. I would say it's a, it's a, it's a good way to put it. I think that they have a bit of they I definitely feel I definitely feel like the people, and it's more than just Ben nowadays, but the, I definitely feel like these people in my life that are speaking into me as far as business or even leadership goes, they're definitely a safety net. They're a safety net to say, one, I've got you. You don't have to figure all this out alone. But another sense to say, hey, we're behind you, and that means you have to keep moving. That means mm-hmm. that um, you have to create distance and we want to be able to have to catch up type deal, right? Mm -hmm. They, they're there when I need them, but they're also holding me accountable to the things that I've committed to from the beginning and the things that we're working through together. So I would definitely say it's definitely a a bit of a safety net, safety net. So, you know, you keep saying they, meaning you have multiple um, mentors. How important do you think that is to have more than one? I think it's huge. You know, I think as you grow in business, you have more of a need for specific knowledge. And it's really, I'm glad you asked because it, since Holy Hill started, I, it, you know, I've had one mentor for like two years, right? And then all of a sudden I needed another mentor in accounting. And then I needed somebody else that, who, who has scaled to a level that, you know, that's more relevant to my industry. Maybe I, here's the deal. I end up I guess naturally finding people with the answers that I need. And I wouldn't say naturally because I definitely have to go out of my way for it. And it sucks sometimes because, you know, there's most people are willing, but some people just shut the door. They're <laughs> like, no, nah, I don't have time for this naughty nose kid running around in Defiance, Ohio. But I think it's important as you go further in business because getting started, you need somebody, you don't need 15 voices. That can complicate things, right? But once you have a set of, 
once the business is a little bit more established and it's growing steadily and sustainably, then yeah, you you have to find very specific knowledge uh, and experience to speak specifically to a specific topic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how you fine tune a business. I'm not going to have the same person who's an expert at changing my tires also replacing an engine or also changing the oil. Now, granted, it's a bad example because all mechanics typically do most of that stuff, but a doctor is probably a better example. You know what I mean? Somebody might be a heart surgeon. Do you want them to operate on you know the tendons of, in your knee? Probably not. There's just... There's different specialties for different parts of, of business, and that's why business is so vast. That's why I enjoy it so much. You'll never be able to master business because even if you master a subject, there's 13 more that you you, you neglected on your way to mastering one. So it's definitely important to have multiple ones. I would say so. So, I mean, while we're on the subject, this is just for the listeners out there. If you do own a business and you've been through it, and you have somebody reaching out to you and asking for help, help them. Yeah. <laughs> be be that person that you wish you would have had when you were starting a business. Um, like you said, you know, some people just close the door in your face and say, no, I don't have time, which, you know, we do understand business is, it takes a lot of your time, but again, be that person that you wish you had when you started. So Yeah, I love that. And with that, people reaching out to other people, don't just reach out and take, take, take. Offer some sort of value in return. Hey, could I take you out to lunch? Hey, could I, um, let's just say, um, I'm a photographer. I'm, I would love to learn how you scaled your um, wedding photography business. Can I do some free headshots or can I mm-hmm. uh, do Can I be a second shooter for you for uh, a shoot or two for free and trade for some of your, your, your time? And mm-hmm. typically they won't want that. But what it does is it creates this atmosphere of willingness and it shows that person you're asking that you're actually committed to it. Mm-hmm. Because what I don't like and what I have experienced myself is that a lot of people will come to you just to say, give me, give me, give me, show me, show me, show me, mm-hmm. teach me, teach me. And it's just, it's, it's leech like relationship and they don't respect the time. So respect the time of the people that you want to reach out to offer value, try to make sure that you're adding value to their life. And sometimes they, they will say, I don't want anything from you and then let it be that. But also on the flip side, definitely if somebody's reaching out, mm-hmm. imagine yourself back in those shoes and how helpful that would have been or how helpful that was when you did reach out to somebody. Mm-hmm. So it's a good point. So what I know there's a lot of hardships starting the business and continuing the business. Yep. There's always thing after thing. But what would you say has been the or one of the hardest parts about starting the business logistically? Man, I think this depends on the person because some people are very system oriented, very operationally gifted, where I am more of a vision sales guy. I would say up front, it was it was creating efficiencies and executing services, like logistically starting the business, right? Finding out how to to manage communicating with clients, executing services, and marketing. Like, mm-hmm. how do I balance these? It's just as far as a schedule goes, right? I would say the operational part for me was was probably the hardest up front, considering like again logistics. If that's just, if that's the right vein, and I would say next to that. I wouldn't say this is the hardest part, but this was one that took most of my time and energy was sales. It was it was making sure that everybody knew what I was doing and making sure everybody I was serving was taken care of. And honestly, just being loud, 
being, <laughs> you know what I mean? Being everywhere, talking to everyone. Mm-hmm. And I, I enjoy doing that already. So it's helpful, but, uh, I would definitely say it was operations and efficient systems part of starting Holio. Mm-hmm. So now looking back at that yeah. to now, is that still a hard part of the business or has it completely changed? Oh my gosh. I think it's changed like 14,586 times, but, but one time for every day. Well, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but at the same time, overarching problem today is still like not even a problem because it's we've got a solid system and operations at this point and they're only getting better but that's not my giftings and so still to this day it's not it's something that I'll, I'll i'll answer the question this way the thing that i struggle to be good at the you know the easiest or i have to work the hardest at mm-hmm. is operations and systems it's the efficiencies of them internally which is crazy because i consult for people <laughs> about their operations and systems and we do a pretty good job at it too. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, internally, like staring at the back of my hand, I'm like, what is this? Right. And so I kind of, I, I, I wouldn't say necessarily struggle with it because we're not, you know, a corporate entity with, you know, hundreds or thousands of employees. We're at a place now where the team is fairly manageable. So the systems and operations aren't that daunting, but with that, it's definitely given me the most trouble of everything so far. Uh, definitely be on sales too. So what type of things have surprised you in the business? Like things that you have to accomplish or things that you need to get done to make the business one, an, a, a legal business. Sure. Um, and then, or just, you know, have it run well or grow. Um, yeah. What, what things have surprised you? Man, uh, I feel like every day there's some, some sort of surprise that I didn't anticipate with business, but I would say getting started, the thing that surprised me about, I I think what you're saying was more or less starting an actual business, having the LLC, Mm -hmm. having the insurance out there, making sure, you know, we're doing whatever the government requires of us. I would say the the thing that surprised me the most was just how vast of, of a space business truly is and how how much I got in over my head early simply because you have to to start like the only way you jump in the water unless it's a shallow pool your head's probably going under or at least it's getting wet right like you have to get in and over your head a bit and I would say it was just how vast it was it was how unprepared I was for accounting how unprepared I was for uh, technically, I guess, managing certain plugins in the website, figuring out the insurance, figuring out cost of services to execute the services, uh, or software to execute the services. There was just a lot more than I thought I would have to do. And I quickly realized that I have to get to the next level so I can afford to pay people to do the things that I either can do or don't want to do. And that was the surprising part to me. But I think it, it quickly came with a solution. Well, these problems are solved as most are by revenue. Mm-hmm. Like plain and simple, making more money affords different options. And so I would say that, just the vastness of business. I think I was also surprised by how many surprises there really there really was, right? Going back to the point of how much I didn't know. And I was... I remember a moment in 2020 when the world was shut down and I was working for myself with Holy Hill Media 
again, saved up what, like $6,000, thought I had enough, figured it was great, great starting cash. And then had to start putting money on the credit card. And there was just a point in time when I was surprised with how much sales was more important than the service, which is crazy to say, because I don't want to say that a bad service is okay. A bad product is okay. But the sales were more important because here's the deal. I can be passionate about a service and a product all day, but if I'm not getting paid to do it, I don't, I can't do it. I can't do it to the capacity that I wanted to do it full time. So I think I was surprised by the importance. And again, I think these goes back to these two four most important things, sales and a good product or service. Mm -hmm. I was just surprised by that. I thought if a product or service was good, word would get out. But here's the deal, it doesn't. Some of the best products and services or creatives, artists, marketers, photographers, whatever, they all are slept on until somehow they learn to sell. Mm -hmm. They learn to generate awareness. You know, people build businesses off of referrals and that's great. It's not sustainable. It's not scalable. It's definitely not competitive. And so I think I was surprised by that as well. So as you keep going in the business and things keep popping up, you know, from start to, to now, how do you know that you're doing things right? That's a good question as well. Are you still asking yourself that question? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Every single day I'm like going through my mind, like, am I, you know, at any point in time, am I going to just ruin everything? Mm -hmm. Maybe I pull the trigger on a bad decision and maybe it's a bad new hire. Maybe it's a bad investment of a software. Maybe it's hiring the wrong bookkeeper, accountant, attorney, whatever the case might be, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, of course, of course. And part of that, man, I would say part of that is just inherent with business. I hate to cop out and say that. Mm -hmm. I really do. But I, I think part of it's just inherent with business. But I, I will say this with that as well. The, the, the moment that everything is okay, I lose my edge. The moment when things are going well, I'm, I, I am almost I'm sabotaging myself. I'm immediately considering what's the next goal then. I'm immediately thinking about, well, what if this happened, right? I'm, I'm, I'm self-sabotaging every win. Mm -hmm. And what it's done is I never stop stepping forward, right? I never stop moving. I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's worked for me. I'm going to keep doing it. But there's been so many times where it's like, what is, how do I know if I'm doing well? Well, put it this way. Like, and these are the uh, very fundamental things that I look at now. From a surface level, we have to obviously look at a lot of different things to see and quantify success in the business. But the big thing is, is are your clients happy? Are your employees happy? And is your bank happy? And if my bank's in the green, my clients are happy and employees are happy, I'm not sure there's much that can go wrong in between those things. Now, Let's knock on some wood because there's a lot of things that could go wrong in between. But at that point in time, I can't stress about the what ifs forever. Mm -hmm. Even in good times, contradicting my earlier point, like you have to at some point recognize that if you're going to do this, you have to learn to smell the roses along the way. Otherwise, you're going to get burnt out. So acknowledging 
the simple fact of, hey, we're doing good here. We're doing good, but it's not enough. We're not, we're not to where we need to be yet. We're not to where to, we haven't fulfilled our entire potential yet, but things are good. Telling sign, again, are you cash flowing positively? Are you behind on your bills? You know what I mean? If you're cash flowing positively, it's really hard to go out of business. If you're taking care of your clients and they're happy, it's really hard to go out of business. If your employees are happy, it's really hard to go out of business. Poor cash flow management. I I mention this all the time. I talk about this at least once a week. Poor cash flow management is the number one reason for small business failure. People don't know how to take a simple spreadsheet or a simple software like QuickBooks, look at their income and figure out, am I making more than I'm spending? And it's not enough to just say a few dollars. Like you have to think about this. Like I I think a big part of that too, and I don't want to digress here, but I think a big part of that too is people pay themselves based on performance as business owners, which I think is the dumbest thing you could do because you cannot predict the expense, right? Paying yourself as a business owner is still an expense to the business's cash assets. So thinking about it this way, I am going to bring in, let's just say I bring in $10 today. It takes $3 to execute the services. So I have $7 left. Okay. Well, that means I can either look at it like, oh, those $7 are mine, or I can remember taxes. Okay. So let's take out another $2. Now we have $5 left. Okay. Well, now I can say, well, that's all mine. Well, think about the thing that you need to buy to get to the next level, Mm -hmm. like a new camera or uh, another employee. You know what I mean? Or a freaking rainy day. So now instead of taking that five and putting it in my pocket, I'm going to take two, put three back into the, to the, to the business, even if I don't know what it's going to quite yet. I think another reason that people struggle with this cash flow kind of stuff is they don't know whether it's going to be here today and gone tomorrow or if they're going to have it for the rest of their life. Here's the deal. Sales. <laughs> this is why sales are so important. And if you're putting all of your energy and time into, you know, if, if you're a one man band or you, you know, you're a small business boutique business that have five or more employees somewhere around there, you have to ask yourself too, like the, the money that I'm bringing in now, how, what does this mean for tomorrow? Because who's going to trade taking all of their money one year, one through five or one through 10 when they have a plan to make vastly more after year five or year 10, year 10. Take the hit now, early on. Business is has to be a long game. It has to be a long game. It's not sustainable otherwise. You're not gonna grow a sustainable, scalable business by choking the cash flow from your company and not allowing any room for growth because it takes the money to grow, plain and simple. So completely went on a separate tangent <laughs> outside of your original question. How do you know if you're doing good? You have accountability, like the mentors. You manage your, your cash flow, so it's always in the green. You don't you set your pay. Your employees are happy. Your clients are happy. You should be in good business. And I think a lot of other people, too, would say, you know, it just depends on the person. Maybe it's sim- a lot more simple than that for them. Maybe it's a lot more complicated than that for them. Good is subjective, but I would say some of those are pretty consistent across the board. So. So again, talking about mentors and just, you know, the, the answers that you're giving me as your wife, uh, seeing, you know, you in business and also at home. Um, I see, where are we going with this one? (laughs) I see how much 
you are a businessman 24 <laughs> 7 <laughs> and you're constantly watching videos like shorts and watching documentaries and so many things because you're so curious on business and so for the people listening I just want to kind of ask you to tell them who are the people that you follow who are the people that you like to listen to and take business advice from or life advice or all that stuff who are some of your favorites I'll start by saying this the the further you get in business the more you need help mm-hmm. and the more you need uh, it, the more you're aware of what you don't know and so I started out with one mentor now I have like a rotating like either three to five at any given moment but like consistently three and then two other ones that I just picked their brain once a quarter maybe but that said <laughs> I that's changed so much over the years. I remember starting interested in marketing and I only ever 1000 hours a week it felt like would watch Gary Vaynerchuk when we were in Tennessee Tennessee uh-huh. all the time obsessed. All the time. Well now, you know, do I still listen to Gary V? Sure, but I have like 12 other people I listen to for specific things, right? So who I listen to I definitely pay attention to Gary Vaynerchuk still because he knows he knows the zeitgeist. He knows the business atmosphere at any given moment and what it probably means in the next season, especially considering digital marketing, especially considering brand performance. I would say aside from that, man, I have so many interests too. So I'll probably try to keep those separate from the ones I listen to for business. But I would I would also say that as far as money's money's concerned. I, I really like uh, listening to Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger speak, um, just the way that they value an asset. You know, everybody knows Warren Buffett, but, you know, his, his partner, Charlie Munger, like those two have such a dynamic perspective on managing money and a biz- seeing a business as an asset. It allows me to see Holy Hill as an asset and to work on that as, as something tangible on the table versus just me and the team or not so it's so deep in my mind, I can separate myself to look at it, to work on it instead of being in it and too far in it to see what's around me and recognize the environment. So I would definitely say those two for finance. Uh, Rob Deerdeck, man, his, his leadership mind management, not necessarily managing a team, as a leader, managing your mind and your time, that man has a lot of good to say about that. He's very efficient, he's committed, and he's disciplined. And I love that about him. Beyond that, I love Alex Hermosi. He talks a lot about scaling businesses and sales. His tactics are proven. And I know them because they're consistent generation. He's saying a lot of the same stuff a lot of people have over the last, since the 80s. But he's put it in perspective for people doing business now. but his sales tactics in doing that are so aggressive and so defined and so creative it almost reminds like the way he explains business almost reminds me of like a um a dominant cruise in the octagon and the ufc fighter he's he's creative he's agile he moves weirdly it's yair rodriguez and conor mcgregor they they they're so athletic they move so differently they train fluidly and i feel like that's his his perspective on sales and scaling and so i really appreciate that and and maybe that parallel is also why i like him a bit but (laughs) beyond that um man who else is out there 
that I listen to? Who else do I listen to? Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan all, all the time. time. <laughs> uh, all the time. So anytime I'm not listening to something for something, I'm just wanting to be entertained. I listen to Joe Rogan. The reason why that helps me, I truly believe. I think everything I do has uh, is intentional, at least. <laughs> I'm saying that. Yeah, now. no. There's, there's always a, a reason behind why you're doing something like, I'm going to listen to this because it'll help me with this. Like, yeah. it's funny. Like, I'm just like, I don't know. I like it. Yeah, yeah, right, like, right, right. I don't know. I see something from this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm always I looking go deeper than I probably should, but... <laughs> I, I just want to juice everything, right? The, here's the deal. With Joe Rogan, though, Joe Rogan is so passionately curious that the man is hyper-intelligent beyond, I think, anybody's awareness because here's the deal. Curiosity leads to awareness. Curiosity leads to knowledge. Curiosity leads to breakthrough. And what happens when that curiosity dies? All of those categories, all of those buckets being filled by curiosity begin to dry up. And there's something attractive and alluring and inspiring by Joe Rogan's intense curiosity and his ability to sit neutrally on a perspective and not be married to any idea or philosophy or theory and being open to have somebody else say something, but completely rooted in morals. Whether anybody agrees with his morals or his worldviews, I don't care. I'm not asking. What I'm <laughs> saying is the curiosity is the beauty. So definitely Joe Rogan as well. Another one too, a few of them, and I don't listen to these guys all the time, but for specific reasons that I'll get to, Grant Cardone and um, Kiyosaki, Robert Kiyosaki, they're real estate guys. The reason why I listen to them, one, I'm interested in real estate and obviously we're getting into it, but the, th the thing that really drew me into those guys was their perspective on growing a business, investing. So many of these, so many of these fundamental elements of investing in real estate can be transferred and used in owning a marketing agency, owning a, a tattoo boutique. Like there's, there's so many different things that you can pull from these brilliant guys in real estate. And I, I take a few things specifically from Robert Kiyosaki, start small. Grant Cardone has an opposing perspective start big and make big quicker. And I love it because I get to see both sides and figure out what works best for me or what works best to get to where I want to be. They help me shape my perspective on investing because here's the deal too. We're talking about homes when we're talking about these guys, but what I see is this commitment, passion. What are the things that I need to get to where I want to be? And I just, I look at, I almost take the, the, the seat of Robert Kiyosaki often when he's speaking and ask, how can I apply the same the, the, the same theory, the same mindset perspective to my business? And there's so many different breadcrumbs that have helped me with Holy Hill. So many, but beyond them, I'm not sure. I listened to so freaking many. There, there's a few more I'm missing, and I'm going to be so mad that I didn't bring uh, them up. This one's going to be controversial, but uh, what's his name? Oh, boy. You know who I'm talking about. No, I don't. Um, oh, um, Jordan Peterson? Ben no, Shapiro. No, the one that just like had a whole fiasco with getting arrested. Oh, boy. Oh, oh. <laughs> We're going to go there? What? Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Whew, I'm sweating a little bit. Nah, honestly, let's talk about it. So the Tate brothers. Yes, them. Oh boy, this is this, sorry this, to call you. It's no, it's fine. It's cool. I'm I talk about it openly all the time. But here's the deal <clears throat> with the Tate brothers, and I do want to talk about who the other ones I mentioned before too. We briefed past them really quick. I threw them out there. Oh, Ben Shapiro. Oh, okay. I like Ben Shapiro because the man is just quick. 
the man's quick and he's a problem solver. I agree with a lot of what he says, not everything. The other one being, who's the other one? Jordan Peterson. Love Jordan Peterson's philosophy. Now the Tate brothers. So 90% of what the Tate brothers say make me shake my head. I'm like, what in God's name? Do I agree with the misogyny that comes out of that man's mouth that is debilitating for a lot of people and toxic for other people who don't know what to do with it? Yes. However, when it comes to business, and not I don't agree with his business models either because they're, I mean, he ran like a, yeah, we won't even get yeah, into we it, but he did. What the man does, what the man's been able to do in business is, is it is admirable. Some of the fundamental views that he has on practical life exploration, going through life, being able to see things for what they are, compartmentalize them and move and move and move. I What I admire about Andrew Tate, which this is potentially going to blow, blow up in the worst way, who cares? I'm here. I'm here for it because oh, I, I, I believe are. this. I believe this. So what I admire about Andrew Tate, again, in the fewer percent that I admire him, what I admire about him is that what he sees and what he believes is how he truly carries himself for one. And two, this man is relentlessly accountable to his own standard. He doesn't hold himself accountable to the other standards that people put on, put to him, obviously. Obviously, the man's pretty freaking reckless. But what I do like about it is there's nobody that's going to get him to where he wants to be but him. And I like that. I like the strength and the boldness of that conversation. Wake up, do it. Make it happen. Carve that out of your day. Prioritize it. Be relentless. Jordan Peterson says, it's better for a man to be a beast and tame himself than to try to learn how to be a beast. And not a lot of people like that, especially not today. But why I stand 10 toes on that is because so much of society is bought in to whatever they're being fed. They are committed to whatever they're hearing. They're committed to whatever somebody's shouting next to them. But how many people are walking through life assessing deeply, who am I? What do I believe in? And I'm going to stand for that. And I'm going to build the life that I believe is best for my family and I. Mm -hmm. That to me is rock steady. I don't think there's anything penetrable about that situation, about that perspective. As Mike Tyson would say, it's impregnable. You know what I mean? This is, this is something that you have to cultivate. And I believe, again, getting back to the Tate brothers, they have cultivated what they want in their life. Again, do I believe in everything that they're doing and saying? Absolutely not. I mean, I also believe a lot of it's a show, but that's what I take from those conversations. I'm also fascinated by the man. I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated because he's a world champion in kickboxing, multiple businesses, a millionaire times and times over, very well known. Mm-hmm. Don't respect the lifestyle he lives, but I respect that he built it. I respect mm-hmm. that he did it. I respect that despite everybody hating, which is, I'm pretty sure he's probably at like 90% <laughs> disapproval rate, 10% yeah. approval rate. I, I see him standing and saying, I'm, I'm still standing here. I'm still believing in the same thing I, I'm, I'm standing in. So at, at, the very, at the very most or at the very least, whatever you want to say, th- he is consistent in a world of inconsistency, mm-hmm. a world that lacks the backbone. So I think it's cool, you know, us talking about, you know, the logistics of business and 
things like that. But you're also talking about just things that that fill you up and light a fire for you. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. You know, you talk about the curiosity of some of those people that you just mentioned. And I I believe that you have gone so far in business because of your curiosity, not just because you've got all your ducks in a row with business. It's because of the the passion for it, the determination for it, and the curiosity for it. So I, I, I think that if you weren't to listen to these people, it's crazy to think about where you would be in your business versus where you would be without it. I think that because of that, again, that like you've grown so much further in your business because of listening to those people and taking advice from all those people and applying it. Yeah, 100%. See, there's there's something that I, I'm never going to run out of, and that's passion, right? Mm-hmm. For Again, for better or for worse, you know? <laughs> But when I, when I, when I can learn from people who are passionate, but have practical wisdom, Mm -hmm. kind of showing you how, what to do with that passion, it allows me to construct a path to where I'm not just Tasmanian devil and I'm just busy and and spinning all over the place. I'm moving towards something Mm -hmm. and I'm attracted to that in people. You know, sometimes it's the people that maybe that's the only good thing about them, but I, I see it and I'm wondering how, how are they cultivating the passion that they have internally to reflect their environment externally? Mm-hmm. And that's what excites me. And you're exactly right. That's a huge, huge factor in building and growing Holy Hill specifically, but also in my personal development, because mm-hmm. now all of a sudden the things that I'm feeling, and this is another conversation we can have either today or another time, but ego when I sit back, and I'm just going to be very brutal. I mean, we're already going there, right? I struggle with this crazy, uh, I don't know if dichotomy is the right word, but this crazy battle, conflict between confidence and insecurity. It's a tug. It's so annoying. There's, there's, it's, it's, a, it's a battleground daily. I mean, hourly. <laughs> do those, just really fast, do those ever get confusing? Do you ever think, is that insecurities or is that confidence? Yeah, 100%. It confuses me. It confuses me because I'm I'm fully both in a mm-hmm. lot of moments. And I don't want to be a narcissist. I don't want to be somebody who thinks, you know, is getting bigger than his britches. I don't want to be somebody who is distastefully bold, you know, and I think so much of that just has to do with awareness and how things can impact people. But I'm also in the same stride, like I can't please everyone, nor do I want to, because it's not my job. And if I could, I wouldn't. But there's there's this there's this battle that goes on every day that pushes me to just be more aware because as things go on and maybe Holy Hill Media grows or we just succeed further the ego can be reaffirmed. It can be kind of insulated and protected. And oftentimes, insecurity protects the ego. And so that's been a whole other dynamic that I've had to work on externally in relationships. But, you know, I think everybody has this ego, but depending on their experiences in life, who their parents were, who they grew up with, the, the choices that they made, it, it, people just end up being different. They're either super insecure, super confident. Well, somewhere in between, I think I'm both, but it's developing into a meekness. Mm-hmm. And so that that the ego, when I, again, bringing it back, when I'm watching these videos on YouTube, listening to these podcasts, reading these books, 
it says to me, you can do that too. See, they did it. You can do it too. It took somebody so long to get here. You still have time to be that person. You still have capacity, room, the ability to be that person, right? I'm constantly doing that. But in the back of my mind, I'm also thinking to myself subconsciously, annoyingly pecking at the Mm -hmm. window. But what if you mess it up? But they had this, but they had that. But, you know, they are, they have this that you don't have or whatever the case might be. And, and, and also like this stupid, um, unhealthy combatant of confidence that just makes sure that I never get too confident. Right. Which oftentimes just cuts me at the knee that before I even get there. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I'm afraid of being ego driven and narcissistic and swollen. You know what I mean? I don't want to be that. But that's, I think that's why it's so important to, to have good role models, mm-hmm. you know, like again, the Rob Deerdex of the world, the Jordan Peterson of the world, of course, Joe Rogan for some, for some things, I wouldn't say Tate's or role models at all for me, but they, you know, the, the people that I am listening to, the, the, the people that I'm surrounding myself with, even locally listening to, they allow me to align my confidence with a person, a per, an identity that's admirable an identity that's I can live with and I can sleep fine at night with you know what I mean and that character part is so important to to consider and to discuss when the confidence is there because the passion says you have to get there the confidence said I know we will the character says well what do you compromise and if I'm not careful those two things passion and confidence will compromise everything and so yeah and and it's hard you know you talk about like believing in yourself yeah you know i think there's a lot of people that you do follow and especially conor mcgregor we're actually just watching um his documentary the other night and we're i mean blown away and it's funny because the way that he believes in himself almost looks like he has a huge ego yeah but when you hear him speak about it, when you see that belief in himself, it is empowering and it is, it's admirable. So I I just want to say like, talk about that a little bit, because like, I think it's so important to believe in yourself because if you're not going to do it, like, like who else is? Right. You can, you can be surrounded by a million people who believe in you, but if you don't believe in yourself, it won't matter. Exactly. So yeah, just, just talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So the Conor McGregor thing specifically, and we were talking about this the other night, but Conor says and does things that I'm just like, oh, well, that's the, that's the unhealthy part of the ego. But what you have to understand is a person like that who is completely committed to the belief in himself to be the best of the best in anything he does, you can't take that out. It takes a complete immersive character into that ego, that confidence to achieve the things that he's been able to achieve. If he didn't have that chip on his shoulder, he wouldn't be where he's at. I truly believe, I truly believe. And then even watching the Kiss documentary where the, you know, the uh, uh, Gene and um, what's his name? Paul, maybe the two, the two lead guys, whatever they're going to get probably dogged on for not knowing. But anyway, I know they, they, they were the underdogs. They were just kind of outcasts early in growing up. You know what I mean? They were made fun of for being Jewish. One of them had a deformity. The other one was kind of just odd. Right. And they didn't fit anywhere. And self-belief took them to the next level. It took them to extremes 
ultimately, though, what, what we look at is this, these, the belief here, going back to Conor McGregor, he, every day, and part of the documentary we just watched with him was, you know, there was a scene when he said, um, and I'm paraphrasing, but he got into a fight when he was younger. And ever since that moment in which he had to ask himself, he took inventory as a, as a young boy and he said, what is this thing I feel? I didn't like that. I was uncomfortable. There was fear there, right? And in order to figure, find out more about that uncomfortable feeling, he went to a gym and started training every day where he found that feeling again, where he was put out of his comfort zone again. And he says he became obsessed with chasing down the discomfort and the fear internally. Can you imagine if you intentionally chase down, identify, and destroy the fear every single day, relentlessly, obsessively, what will you be left with? You'll be left with no fear. You'll be left with what I guess a Conor McGregor. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? The belief, the belief in being able to accomplish anything that you have even considered accomplishing. You know what's you know what's you know what's funny? People have dreams. But the people who are insanely self-confident, they don't have dreams. They have goals. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, not to get too wordy or technical here and get too far into it, but I think a lot of people who dream are just people who are unwilling to do what it takes to get to where they want to be. Mm -hmm. They put it into this like far off land that they can't obtain in their mind because it's easier to deal with it. It's easier to deal with the question, am I willing to do what it takes? Mm -hmm. And I think that question right there strongly parallels self-belief. Is there something in me that I'm unwilling to acknowledge about my lack of success? For example, I wake up every day for the longest time. I wanted to lose some weight. I wanted to get in shape again. So often I made the excuse, well, I'm not getting enough sleep. Well, I'm not eating. You know, I, I'm busy, this, that, and the other, right? Well, no, eventually I had to realize I didn't want it bad enough. And I said it out loud. Mm-hmm. And then not long after that, I lost like 35 pounds, right? You said, I won't until I want to. Exactly. <laughs> I, I told that for a long time. I won't yeah. until I want to. And that's the thing. Like once that switch is turned on, there's just, there's no stopping it, right? But, but I think that self-belief, here's, here's where ego gets tilted and lopsided. When I'm unwilling to check myself, when I'm unwilling to be accountable for the things that I'm compromising on the, where, on, on the way to the location that I want to get to. If you can have some sort of awareness to do inventory, to check some accountability, some mentors, some friends, a wife, whatever the case might be, to help steer that ship, that self-belief, first of all, to grow even, even faster, but it won't do as much damage in the way. Self-belief, and, and, and I say that honestly just to say this, I imagine most people are going to think about all the people we've just mentioned, that they all have egos, that they're all flagrant, they're all loud and obnoxious and this, that, and the other. That's completely fine. But typically the people that judge those kinds of people are, are deeply insecure about something as well. Otherwise, why would it bother them? You know what I mean? And I say that to say that there is a healthy way to go about this, you know, insane self-belief. I just wish, and I'm, I'm learning this, I'm not trying to position myself as the master of this conversation, but I just wish that people understood that so much of the battle truly is just self-belief and self-accountability. Mm. 
with those two things, I'm confident there's nothing that I can't accomplish. There's nothing out of my reach. There's nothing out of your reach, anybody's reach. Because with that in your mind, if there, if there is an obstacle, it's like, well, I'm going to figure it out. For sure. There's no like, oh man, I don't know if I can do this. Seems like too much. It's like, no, I got it. Exactly. See, when people start something, they don't have a big enough reason to do it. And that's why they stop. The people who succeed are always just the ones who, who just had a big enough reason, right? Here's the deal, though. You can't find that externally, unfortunately. Like, I can say, well, I'm doing this for my wife or my future kids or my little brothers or my friends or my town. I am, but after, I'm fulfilling my purpose. Mm -hmm. After I do what my identity tells me I'm doing, I've committed to this mentally, internally. There's this desperate fear of regret that haunts me. It literally haunts me. And the cool thing is that we're, we're homies now. I told him, I got, he got a room in the corner now. He's got a seat. He ain't got some water right there too, right? Lemon slice on the, on the, on the edge of the rim. Because that right there, that right there, that fear of failure ends up perpetuating the accountability to fulfilling my potential. Because I'd rather, I'd rather fail and just hit flat on my face and get back up and keep walking than regret and look back and say, oh, well, I'm out of time. And that's all. Back then was my time to do it. I, don't have, I can't get that back. I can't get my time back. So I'd rather rub people the wrong way. I'd rather miss it. I'd rather fail than regret being all that I can be. Do I want to create collateral damage? No. Do I want to hurt people along the way? No. Will I? Yes. Will I frustrate people? Yes. Will anybody who completely believes in something and wants to completely dedicate to them, themselves to something who's passionate, who wants to fulfill a, a dream and, and, and make it a goal instead of a lofty idea? Yes. Yes, they're going to hurt people. You're going you're gonna to frustrate people. And I have. I know I've pissed people off. I know I've rubbed people the wrong way. I, I know that friends, I mean, we're not, some friends have fallen away. Some family members have fallen away. And I think it comes down to the question, like, is it worth it or not? I'm still moving. So it must be, but there's some things I'm unwilling to lose as well. And I'm aware of that. And I'm just trying to make sure that I don't lose those things. So good stuff, babe. Sorry, man. We're ranting. I apologize. No, no don't apologize. apologize. I think it's good. We've covered some really good things as far as, you know, business, like logistically, all the steps and the things you need to do. And, but then also just like internally, like how you need to position yourself in business to grow. So I think it's kind of come full circle and I think it's been a great conversation. So with that, is there anything else that you want to share with anybody or advice you want to give? Yeah, there's a conversation I've been wanting to have publicly for a long time now because of how much it's just ate at my subconscious and made its way into my conscious mind every day really since then. But there has to come a point in time when as a society, as a people, as a person, whoever, you listening, or you, Lexi, me, Drake, we have to acknowledge, we have to acknowledge whether or not we're willing to fulfill our purpose. And I'm strongly tired of excuses. And I just want to say this. If you're willing to make excuses to put those roadblocks between where you are and when you're, where you want to be, don't enter the room with people who aren't like that. Don't waste the time of people who are, aren't like that. 
Don't pick up the phone and call and ask for anything. Don't 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 text that person. Don't don't just go be that over there because what we don't do again as is, I'm speaking super generally just so people don't think this is about anybody <laughs> in particular because it's not, but a culmination of a lot of different experiences lately. There there comes a point I think in society that there has kind of came a point that we, nobody's just accountable anymore. Everybody just wants to make excuses and, and, and expect something to just fall into their lap or think they deserve something. You deserve as much work as you put in yesterday. And sometimes it's still unfair. Just get over it. And I just want things to be black. And I wish, I wish the world was a little bit more black and white. We live in this gray because, and here's the deal. A lot of things are gray politically policies, uh, religion, emotions, it's a lot of this gray, right? But some things are a lot more simple, I'll say, than we make them. If you have something that you want to do, stop talking about it so much because what happens is you you give your mind this little serotonin treat. Every time you talk about this great idea and you brag about it to a friend or a family member or a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you're satisfied. You don't do anything about it. Or you plan too much and you're satisfied with your, you know, pen on the paper and just thinking and talking about what you're going to do. I just want there to be some accountability with these things. And I'm not going to be the one to do it because it's not my place. I don't care. What I'm going to do is I'm going to keep moving and not holding too tightly to anybody who doesn't want to come along. But I just, I really just want to make this message clear. You're the only one accountable to your circumstances tomorrow. I'm saying that tomorrow because today you might have something crappy happen to you and you didn't deserve it. It's not your fault. Your your parents didn't set you, whatever the case might be. You can blame them all you want, but guess what? It's not going to change your life. If you can recognize that my life tomorrow is dependent on who I am today, it's going to change your life. And I'm going to be accountable to that. I don't care who you are. I'm not going to blame anybody for my lack of success, for my inability to start or persist, there has to come a point when where you want to be becomes your responsibility. Who you want to be, what you want to have, who you want to spend that with becomes your responsibility. And even if somebody else screws up, you should take unreasonable, and this is another person in my life right now, J.P. Edwards speaking some crazy wisdom. He said, unreasonable grace and relentless accountability. What that means is I'm going to look around and I'm going to blame less. Doesn't mean you can't remove people from your life. Just not going to blame them. Doesn't do me any good. What it does is it puts me behind on on on, on the clock for solutions. So instead, I'm going to pivot to relentless accountability. What did I do wrong? How did I not train this person correctly? What did I not do in this relationship to cause them to think this about me, whatever the case might be. I'm not going to blame myself for anything, but I am going to ask myself what I could have done better Mm -hmm. because now all of a sudden it gives me something to do about it instead of complaining about it, Mm -hmm. instead of thinking about it, instead of pouting about it. It gives me a reason, gives me a reason to move again. So I'm never going to be stuck. So the people who are stuck, they're the ones who blame, They're the ones who complain, and they're the ones who make excuses. They're stuck. They're surrounding themselves with this comforting, padding, 
that keeps him away from the dark forest ahead that has a shiny, bright forest on the other side. The grass is greener on the other side of that forest, but to each their own. That's all I got. That's great. It's a good word. You got anything else you want to say? I don't think so. Gucci? Gucci. Well, I appreciate you jumping in last minute again. Had some awesome questions. It was fun. I love you. Love you. All right. Episode 23. We're out.